bless us uh, as we worship together. We, we appreciate the work that, that you do. You know, uh, you've probably heard, I'm sure, the uh, saying, you can't have it both ways, right? Maybe you were told that at some point, you can't have it both ways. And obviously what that saying means is that you can't achieve two mutually exclusive objectives. Uh, for example, in the political realm, you hear this today. I want free college tuition for everyone, but I don't want to pay more taxes. Amen. Okay? Just not going to happen. Okay? You can't have it both ways. You may have somebody say, I want the security of marriage and the freedom of being single. It just is not going to happen. You can't have it both ways. You may even hear a mother say, well, I want to be the best mother in the world and also be the best business executive in the world. I hate to say it, ladies, but that's pretty hard to do. It's hard to be the best at both things. We try maybe to do things, but it just is hard, something like that. This comes over into our spiritual conversations. I'll forgive that person, but I'm never going to have anything to do with them again. Right? How in the world can you forgive someone and never have anything to do with them Again, that doesn't sound like forgiveness. How about I want the church to grow, but I don't want anything to change. I want to live for Christ, but I also want to have everything that society has to Those things just don't work. You can't have it both ways. So there are some things that are in our society that are around us. You just can't have it both ways. Spiritually speaking, there are things that you just can't have both ways. When we come to our text... God is speaking through Jeremiah, and he says you can't have it both ways. Now, what is he talking about? Well, as we're going to look through Jeremiah chapter 2 tonight, we're going to see he's talking about idolatry. And uh, as we look at our text, we're going to see three situations that are common where people want things both ways. God says you can't have it both ways. First of all, when we look at our text, we see that people are attracted to idols even though God is the one who has blessed them. They, they're attracted to idols, but God is the one who has blessed them. God says, listen, you, you either choose idols or you choose me. You can't have it both ways. Now, when Jeremiah starts off in Jeremiah 1, he says, the word of the Lord came to me. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. So Jeremiah is going to go to the city and he's going to proclaim, proclaim this in Jerusalem. I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me, followed me through the desert, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who devoured her were held guilty and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. Now the very first thing here that we see in this prophecy that Jeremiah was uh, proclaiming to the people of Jerusalem is he tells God is speaking through the prophet and he says, I want you to remember. Now the nation of Israel we would have to say there, were, there was never a time when they were perfect. There was never a time when they had it all right. But there were times where they did much better than at other times. At this particular time, when Jeremiah is bringing this prophecy, it's God speaking through him, this was a time when the, the nation of Judah was getting it very, very wrong. The people were idolatrous. The people were seeking after idols. And God calls them 
to remember the devotion of their youth. He says, I want you to remember back. Now, he's not talking about their individual lives. He's talking about their life as a nation. He's saying, I want you to think back to the beginning of the nation. He says, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the desert, uh, through a land not sown. Remember when God brought them out of Egypt and they walked in the desert for 40 years? Now, they, they were not perfect. We remember some bad times. We remember, for example, the idolatry at Mount Sinai. We, we remember when they were at uh, uh, about to go into the promised land and the, the spies came back and they said, no, we can't take it, so they didn't do it. But the Israelites then walked with God for 40 years in the desert. Do you understand that this is a, a hard place to live? And so God was leading them one place to another. And, and again, it wasn't a perfect time, but, but God says that when he uh, lifted, the, the, the pillar of fire lifted, or the pillar of cloud and, uh, during the day, and it moved, what did the Israelites do? They followed behind. They went where God led. And, and they came for 40 years until they came to the promised land, and God led them into a promised land. That was a time when the Israelites, again, not perfect, but they were following God much on a daily basis. God was leading them time after time. He says, I want you to remember, remember back to that. Remember how I led you and you followed and how I took care of you. How I sent manna from heaven. How I sent quail to come down so that you could eat meat. How I provided water from the rock when you needed it. Whatever you needed, I provided. So he says, remember how I provided for you. He then says, Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. They were the first people that God had called to himself. So that was very important. He says, remember, I've called you as my, my first. And then he says, and all who devoured her were, were held guilty. A disaster overtook them. God pushed away nations that were coming against the Israelites time and time again. You understand, the Israelites, they had just become a nation. They didn't have technological advances. They didn't have the, the, the latest swords and, and weapons and that sort of thing. They were just trying to make it through. They had been slaves. They had not been warriors. And yet, what did God do? God protected them every time. So God was telling them to remember. Now, why is it important for Judah to remember this time of devotion and God's care over his people when they were young as a nation? It's because God wants them to remember that everything comes from Him. If they will follow Him and trust Him, He will provide for them, even when it seems like everything is caving in. Even when it seems like Assyria from the north is going to come and take over. Even when it looks like maybe Egypt from the south can come and take over. And you're going to get squashed between these two nations. God says, if you'll trust me, I will take care of it. All you got to do is follow. But that was not what the people of Judah did. Instead, they were chasing after idols. Look what it says in verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, all you clans of the house of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your fathers find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and rifts, a land of drought and darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives. I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce, but you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. 
The priests did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, following worthless idols. He says, I brought you into this land. I took care of you. Remember? Remember? I took care of you. And what did you do? You came into this land and you began to worship the very idols of the people who had this land before you. So God is really coming down on them pretty hard. Now, I wish we could look at this uh, in, in more detail. We just don't have time. But I want to point out to you a, a few of the, the images that we see here. Uh, look down in, uh, in verse 10. God says, cross over to the coast of Katim and look. Send to Kadar and observe closely. See if there has ever been anything like this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all, but my people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. God asks a very simple question through Jeremiah. He says to the people, have the people ever changed their idols? I mean, the, the gods that they worship? Now, in this particular time, the different peoples, they had different gods. And they were known for that. And, and so this people, they had their God. This people, they had their God. This people, they had their God. And God asked the question, do people ever change their gods? I mean, no matter what happens, they seem to stick with the same gods. Now, sometimes they added to their pantheon of gods. They would say, you know, hey, listen, this God may work out with us pretty well, too. So let's just have them come in and be a part of it. They may take some away. They may rearrange the gods to some extent, but for the most part, they always kept the same gods that they always had. And so a nation didn't change in that particular way. They stayed uh, with, with who they had. But God says this. God says, Israel, Judah, this is what you've done. You have taken the God that you serve and you have done away with me. You have forgotten me. And you have served the idols of the other nations. You have done what all the other nations refuse to do. And God is pointing out the foolishness of their giving up, exchanging their glory. What, what does it say, but my people have exchanged their glory for a worthless idol? What was the glory of Israel? Is it not God himself? Is that not our glory? Is he not our glory? It is exactly the same thing. You think that this is you know, Old Testament. This doesn't have any effect on us. Listen, this, this, is, this is New Testament. This is exactly what Paul says to the Romans in Romans 1. Listen to this. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. God says that's what everybody has done. They have exchanged the glory of God to worship the created things. And so that's one image that we see here. Another one is down in verse 13. God says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. God says, first of all, they have they've done two things. First of all, they've forsaken me, 
the spring of living water. In other words, they had a spring that was going to bring them living water. Now, this may sound familiar to you. When Jesus, in John chapter 4, what did he call himself? Did he not call himself living water? And that was flowing water. And the reason it was living water is because if you had a good spring, you were much uh, less likely to get sick from a fresh spring that was coming out, that, that moving water. Instead, he says, they have gone to cisterns. Now, a cistern was basically a hole that they would dig in the ground or maybe a, a hole that they would dig out in the rock, and, and it would be a place where water would collect so that they would have water when they needed it. Now, this was very important in a very dry place, especially if you had you know, water that you needed for crops or different things like that, water that your family needed. But you didn't go to the cistern first. Why? Because it was stagnant water. You didn't want to drink stagnant water. You know, in the early church, uh, there's a book called the Didache, and it talks about baptism, and it, it gives kind of instructions on baptism, and it says, if, if you can do it, you want to baptize in running water first. If you don't have that, then you can baptize in still water. Now, why would they say something like that? Because people would get sick in the stagnant water. So they said, if you can help it, you baptize in the running water. It's fresher. So that's what, that's what they would do. So God is saying, listen, you have forsaken me, and you have dug cisterns, and he says broken cisterns that cannot hold water. You know what would be the worst thing in the world? is for you to spend all this time digging a cistern out of rock and having water fill it up and you say, great, I have something when it gets dry and then when it gets dry, you go to your cistern and there's a crack in the rock and it's all poured out. Now what's the image God is giving to this? It's really very simple. God says, you are going to these broken cisterns, these idols, and these idols will never give you what you need. They can never satisfied. Won't ever do it. They're broken systems. What a powerful image that is. God is the one who is the living water. Everything else will never satisfy our souls. We see him talk about idolatry bringing punishment. Look in verse 17. He says, have you not brought this on yourselves by forsaking the Lord your God when he led you in the way? Now, why go to Egypt to drink water from Shehor? And why go to Assyria to drink water from the river? Your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and have no awe of me, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. Now, at this particular time, the people of Israel, I told you before, they were kind of caught between two nations. And they had courted the Assyrians a little bit. You know, maybe they could talk to the Assyrians and the Assyrians would be nice to them and let them live how they wanted to. But maybe if they didn't do that, maybe they could go to the Egyptians to the south and maybe the Egyptians would protect them and they would be a vassal state to the Egyptians and the Egyptians would protect them from the Assyrians. So do they go to the Assyrians and they get protection from the Egyptians or do they go to the Egyptians and get protection from the Assyrians? What do they do? And God says, you should have done neither one. You should have trusted me. And so punishment is going to come upon you. I'm going to, uh, he says, your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. He says punishment is going to come because you did not look to me. Then he gives the 
illustration of spiritual prostitution. Now we'll see this a lot more next week. Look down in verse 20. He says, long ago you broke off your yoke and tore off your bonds. You said, I will not serve you indeed on every high hill and under every spreading tree you lay down as a prostitute. Now the image that is here is that the people of Israel said, listen, God, you put a yoke on us and, and we want to break away from this yoke. We want to do whatever we want to do. We don't want anybody to tell us what to do. And so they said, we will not serve you. And God says, that's exactly what you've done. Now you've gone and prostituted yourself all over. You see, this is one of the, the themes that we see all throughout Scripture is you will serve one master or another. You will either serve sinful masters or you will serve God. But you'll always serve someone. There'll always be some God that you serve. Wouldn't it be better to serve the one God who cares for us and loves us? That's the spiritual prostitution that was made here. They were going and worshiping all other gods that were around instead of the one true God who had made a covenant relationship with them. Finally, we see idolatry and senselessness. Look down at verse 23. God says to Jeremiah, how can you say... I am not defiled. I have not run after Baals. See how you behave in the valley. Consider what you have done. You are a swift she-camel running here and there, a wild donkey accustomed to the desert, sniffing the wind and her craving. In her heat, who can restrain her? Any males that pursue her need not tire themselves at mating time. They will find her. Do not run after your feet uh, until your feet are bare and your throat is dry. But you say, it's no use. I love foreign gods, and I must go after them. In other words, the people of Israel, they were just giving the excuse. Now, listen, we don't have any choice. Listen, I, this, is, this is just, I have to do this. This is something that, that uh, uh, it, I'm, I'm just compelled to do. I'm compelled to, to go after these foreign idols. And I just, I just don't have anything to stop me anymore. I just can't help it. We heard that in our society many times. I just can't help it. Uh, we see all sorts of things today that we could go into and talk. And people say, I just can't help it. I was born that way. You notice that, that that argument is always used when it's beneficial. I was born that way, but then when it's not beneficial, they use the other argument. There's no logical sense to it. It's senselessness. But that's exactly what the you know, we could sit back and, and we could say, well, I'm so glad that we don't have idols like they did in Jeremiah's time to lead us astray. Oh, but we have so many. We probably have more in this nation than other nations do who worship the real idols, the, the real statues that are there. There are idols all around us. You know what an idol is? We often think of idols as something that is bad. But idols are typically those things that are gifts from God that we have put in the place of God. See, your family is a gift from God. It's just never to be your God. Your children are a gift. They're just never to be your God. And, and I, I believe I was listening to a, a sermon not long ago and David Platt said, good gifts from God make poor gods. 
That's exactly right. They're not supposed to be gods. They're supposed to be gifts from God. Not supposed to be gods. But that's exactly what we've made. Listen, we need to understand whatever we put in front of God, whatever idols we make, they are poor gods. They are broken cisterns. We are committing spiritual adultery. We are senseless as we go after these idols. God calls us to follow Him. In fact, He calls us to remember. Remember. Remember when you followed me? Remember early in your days when you trusted Christ as your Savior? Remember when He came into your heart and you were so filled with joy because you knew that you had a place in heaven with Him and you wanted other people to know you wanted to be in church and to give glory to Him. And when you walk out of the church, you live for Him. You remember those days? You remember when the Holy Spirit was filling you and working in you? What has happened? Don't let the idols come in front of our worship of God. We see here that people were attracted to idols. God says, I'm the one. I'm the one who's blessed you. These idols can never give you what you want. You can't have both. Secondly, I want you to see here that we are told people desire to have the blessing of God while living in sin. They want God to bless them, but in the same time they live totally opposed to God. We see another image in verse 26. God says, as a thief is disgraced when he is caught so the house of Israel is disgraced. They, their kings, and their officials, their priests, and their prophets, they say to wood, you are my father, and to stone, you gave me birth. They have turned their backs to me, and not their faces. God is saying here that idolatry had brought disgrace on the people of God. In fact, what the people were doing in their idolatry is they were giving credit to the idols for things that God had done. You see how they call out? Uh, God says to Jeremiah, they say to Wood, you are my father. But the Wood is not their father. God's their father. And they say to the stone, you gave me birth, and God is the one who gave them life, who made them in his image, and who breathes the breath of life in them each and every day. And so they're attributing the things of God to idols. Listen, that is something that we see all the time in our society today. And just to give you an illustration, and this was just a recent article, September 27, 2016, just a couple of weeks ago, in the Atlantic, there was an article called Rewriting Earth's Creation Story. And these very brave scientists for writing this were basically questioning the creation story that science has today, that they're making, you know, 4.6 billion years old or whatever it's up to now, 6.2 billion years, they always change it. And, you know, the uh, how the you know, evolutionary process took place and all of that. That's what they were talking about. This is Mark Harrison. This is a quote. He's a geologist at the University of California, Los Angeles. Now, he's not a Christian. And in no way is he, is he proclaiming that the, the creation story that we have 
in the scriptures is correct. But listen to what he says. He says there is absolutely not a, not a single scrap of observational evidence that requires that scenario ever took place. He's talking about the creation story the scientists have made. He says we, have a, as a scientific community, created an origin myth that has no more intellectual value than, number, than first Genesis. Although we're very quick to criticize those that operate on faith. That's exactly what we did. Now, there's someone from the other side who is admitting. He's admitting what no one else wants to admit. He's admitting we just made up the story. We can't prove it at all. Not at all. And we put down people of faith, yet we are operating on faith even in our own story. What have they done? In science, they have attributed the work of God to the processes of science. They have said that the things of God are uh, just uh, uh, works of, of nature that take place, but they have no organization or designer in them. So people are still attributing today to idols what God has done. But idolatry can't bring any help. Look at verse 20. Uh, look at the end of verse 27. He says, yet, when they are in trouble, they say, come and save us. Where then are the gods you made for yourselves? Let them come if they can save you when you are in trouble. For you have as many gods as you have towns, O Judah. Now look at that. God, that's, a, that's a very deep rebuke. God says, you're calling out to the wood and to the stone and attributing the works of the wood and the stone, these foreign gods, the things that I have actually given you. And then when you need help, what do you do? You say, come and save us, God. Yahweh, you're the one that we trust. You're the one that we follow. That's what they were doing. I can't tell you how many times I have been in hospital rooms and I've heard people say, I am calling out to God for a miracle. And I tell you, if God does this, I will be in church and I will serve the Lord. Now this is a person who did not come to church, did not serve the Lord, didn't do what God wanted them to do. But yet when times are difficult, what do they do? They call out to God. And then... When God brings healing, which very oftentimes through His marvelous grace. Oh, how gracious God is. Many times He does heal them. Now, God is perfectly justified in not doing that. Because he, he says here to the people of Judah, Where are the gods you made for yourselves? Let them come and say, God can do that. I think God doesn't do that sometimes. But God in His graciousness very often heals them, takes care of them. What do they do as soon as they get out? They go right back to their old gods. Now they can say it's, it's their, their pleasure or their money or their family or whatever it is. But they're gods. They go right back to them. Listen, God is, is not pleased when we all only call out to Him when we are in trouble. We need to be calling out to God at all times. We see here that the people were 
try to seek God in the midst of their adultery, in the midst of their idolatry. We know in Psalm 78 that this is what the Scripture tells us. God says, whenever God slew them, they would seek Him. They eagerly turned to Him again. They remembered that God was their rock, that God most high was their redeemer. But then they would flatter Him with their, with their mouths, lie to Him with their tongues. Their hearts were not loyal to Him. They were not faithful to His covenant. You know, there are many times where we do this ourselves. It ought to be the cry of our hearts to follow the Lord in no matter what happens, no matter what takes place. In the good times we give praise to God, in the bad times we give praise to God. We don't change. Our idols don't change. Our gods don't change. We should not be people like that. That's who God is condemning here. That's what God says again. You can't have your blessings from me and then also seek blessings from your idolatry. Listen, if you're going to seek blessings, it has to come only from me and I will provide for you. Many of you can give the testimony, I can give the testimony that God, when I have trusted Him, He has always been faithful. He's always been there. And many times when I haven't trusted Him, He's been faithful. So why would I turn to something else? Why would I turn to uh, uh, something else to try to give me satisfaction, try to give me help? I don't know why, but I do it like you. Shame on us for doing that. May we always seek God. May we always know that Christ is the one who has provided all things. He is the one who died for us. He is the one who rose from the grave. He is the one we must seek in all things. We can't have it both ways. Finally, we see that people refuse to acknowledge their sin, even though they're guilty. You can't have it both ways. God says, first of all, in verse 32, that the people of God had forgotten him. He says, does a maiden forget her jewelry, a bride her wedding ornaments? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. I've, I've done a lot of weddings over the years, and there's always something that somebody forgets. One time I had a wedding where the groom forgot the rings at his house and he had to go get them and we were about an hour late starting the wedding because the groom had forgotten the rings. A groom may do that, but let me ask you this, ladies. Would you ever forget your wedding dress on your wedding day? I don't, I don't know, I've never heard of that ever ever happening. Maybe you've got the story of that happening. I've never heard of a, a bride forgetting her wedding dress on her wedding day. That's kind of the one thing that you're going to have. Groom may show up or not, but you're going to have your wedding dress, right? God uses that and he says, does a maiden forget her jewelry, a bride, her wedding ornaments? No, of course not. Yet you have forgotten me. We hold on to things in this world, but yet we have forgotten our greatest ornament of our lives, God Himself. The one that we should be clothed with in everything. God continues to go on. He says in the end of verse uh, 32, yet you have forgotten me days without number. Verse 33, how skilled are you in pursuing love? Even the worst of women can learn from your ways. 
On your clothes men find the lifeblood of the innocent poor. Though you do not catch them breaking in, yet in spite of all of this, you say, I am innocent. He is not angry with me. But I will pass judgment on you because you say, I have not sinned. Why do you go about so much changing your ways? You will be disappointed by Egypt as you were by Assyria. You will all also leave that place with your hands on your head, for the Lord has rejected those you trust. You will not be helped by them. You see, the people of Israel, they were acting in all these ways. They were acting in adultery. Here specifically, God is dealing with their seeking peace among, uh, or from the Assyrians or the Egyptians. And he says, you don't think you've done anything wrong. You don't think that you have sinned in any way. But yet he says you are standing there with the lifeblood of the innocent poor on your clothes. That the picture is someone, uh, you know, the, the police come into the house and the man is standing there. He's got the, the knife and he's got blood all over him. And he says, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Have you ever seen a child? Who was told not to eat the cookies. And is standing in the kitchen. With crumbs at their feet. Chocolate on their face. And they claim. I did not eat the cookies. You obviously know. You've been caught eating the cookies. Why are you denying eating the cookies? You've been caught red-handed. The evidence is all there. Listen, that is what God sees. When we, as His people, when, when people in the world today say, well, we haven't sinned against you, God. Yet yeah, we have gone to, to seek pleasure in this, and we have gone to seek peace in that, and we have relied on other things instead of Him. But this, this is what... The Apostle John said concerning this particular idea, it's 1 John 1, 8 through 10, he says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, then God is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. So the call here is for us to recognize we are sinful people. You see, the disturbing thing is, is I believe we often convince ourselves that we really didn't eat the cookies. So we stand before God saying, I, I, didn't, I didn't do it, God. No, I'm really, I'm really good. We need to see ourselves as God sees us. Those who are in churches today, there are a couple of exceptions. One is that they are true followers of Christ, yet they have never really understood what following Christ means. There are a lot of people, I think, who are deceived into thinking that they're okay. And in fact, coming to church is penance. What I mean is, is you feel that you're 
you're paying your debt by coming to church or doing this or that, giving your money, whatever it is. And therefore, God must allow you into heaven because you've done some good things for him. But that's a false idea. God calls us to confess our sins, to see ourselves as sinners, and to trust him as Lord and Savior, bringing nothing to him because we have nothing to bring. And then there are many who are in churches today who are saved. I think that they really are, but because of the pride that they have, they have a hard time letting go of some of the idols that are in our society. We have a hard time letting go of some of the things that, that bring pleasure. We know they're not necessarily things of God, but we try to hold on to them. I want to tell you that God gives us a warning concerning idols. From the New Testament, Jesus gives this short parable, and it's so short, I just want to read it to you. It's Luke 13, 6-9. Jesus says, Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I have been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, Leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. You know what the warning is? The warning is that God's not going to wait forever for there to be fruit. God's not going to give you forever. Judgment is going to come. What I'm going to ask us to do tonight is to really examine our own hearts. Are we really followers of God? Have we really trusted Him? Or have we been serving some other idol? We really need to examine ourselves. Because you understand, judgment is coming. We don't have all that. There's going to be a day where Jesus comes and cuts down the fig tree. When it's all done. So, God has given us the warning. We see the prophet here giving the warning to the people of Judah. Judgment is coming. You need to change. The message comes to us. Judgment is coming. We need to make sure that we are right with the Lord. Listen, the only way we talked about it this morning, the only way to the Father is through the Son, is through Jesus. Make sure, make sure, please, that you've surrendered your life to Him. And if you are holding on to any idols, I want you to know you can't have it both ways. Release those things. Let go of it. And give God all your passion, all your joy, all your energy, all your faith, all that you have. And I promise you, God is never found to be a broken sister. He is always Dear God, we come to you and we thank you that you are the God above all. There are none who are stand like you. You are the one true God. You are not a piece of wood or a piece of stone or a, a piece of metal. You are not something that has been created by human hands. You are the creator of all. You are high and above all things. You have existed before anything else existed. 
and you will exist for eternity. You are not dependent on anyone. You are independent of all so that you don't rely on any, but we all rely on you. God, I pray that we would be a people who completely surrendered, completely surrendered, not with falsity, not uh, with a, a half heart, but God, completely in everything that we do, we would be surrendered to you. God, help us to release the idols in our lives. You know how difficult it is for us. It was difficult in the time of uh, Jeremiah, and it's difficult for us today. God, help us to seek you with all our hearts. And lean not on our own understanding. Help us to acknowledge you and follow you and trust all your ways that you would be glorified in us. Lord, just move in our hearts in this time. We give you the praise, the honor, and glory that only you are due in Jesus' name. Listen, our invitation time, if you need Jesus, please come talk to me. Please, please, please. If, if you are holding on to something in your life and the Holy Spirit has revealed it to you, you need to give it up. Give it up. It's not worth holding on to you. It's not more significant than Christ is. Give it up. It's just broken, sister. If there's some other decision you need to make, you come talk to me. Whatever you need to do, the altar's open. You can pray. You can pray where you are. But let's make sure that we're right with the Lord. Let's give up everything that encumbers us, that keeps us from following Him. And then let's go and let's serve Him this week. Let's stand together.